you are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Rogues. Each week, we design new decks for tournament play, and then we put our creations to the test so we can share our findings on the air. What worked? What didn't? And what can we improve for the following weeks? On today's episode, Anthony, better known as I Play Bad Decks, gets shot by more as they look into some of their craziest rules for the past few days, going from mono white martyr into the depths of Esper Micromancer. Will any of these decks have any success? Will any of them actually be of interest? Join us to find out and hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome to Faithless Brewing. Tonight, our beautiful CEO sadly could not join us and make the great intro he does to do. However, I I came and found the best replacement money could ever find. One of the best brewers in modern, clearly the most chaotic one. I play bad decks. Beautiful Ant, how are you doing? Oh, that was a very nice intro. Um, I, I'm doing good. It's it's uh, been an interesting couple weeks of you know spoilers and brewing and all that stuff and ideas coming to mind so i'm looking forward to you know going over what i've been working on and maybe talk about some other fun cards that maybe we can try to break seems perfect so yesterday i contacted and got him so we could record for today and the best the first part the the first thing i said to him is let's get your finest brews but let's get your your good brews there's a yeah the good being the keyword because there's a lot of garbage um that you know goes into any deck that you brew, right? You're going to have like the first draft and it's going to be terrible. Then you're going to have the second draft and it's going to be less terrible. And then by the 18th draft, you have a deck that can possibly go 3-2 in a modern league and then you're good to go. Just don't burn all your play points like me. Yeah. So he he makes the good work so you don't lose play points yeah. going 0-2 consistently with things that are completely unplayable. So he he's the one that provides mostly me with half furnish idea that then we work on but he's yeah. the one that makes this the, the, the blind testing on bad you ideas you guys can all send me you know all your the dms thanking me I'm, that's okay i'm a humble person you can both thank him in the dms and offer him bad ideas yes. and you can make him waste more play points if you send him an interesting bad idea he's gonna waste his play points on it it's 100 percent. i will if you give me like a fun <laughs> card i'm like oh boy here we go five five leagues of this o2 dropping how many leagues of o2 drop have you had with seans I think that was the one you bested the most on. I don't think I O two'd that much with Seance. I usually would like two, three, or three, two with it somehow. Because <laughs> like every once in a while, you run into like the burn deck that just can't beat like a recurring Siege Rhino or something. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was bound to get you yeah. some wins. Like it wasn't completely yeah, playable. Yeah. No, no, no. It, it, the synergies were really strong. Just it's likely the deck you spent the most leagues on. I think. Yeah, for a while I was I was jamming that free. I I got cl- I think I had the best I, I got a four one with it once or twice, but like nobody's five would with seance yet, so hopefully one day I can be the first one. So finally, got to enter a few deck lists that should be at least decent, ranging from decent to good actually, because I really like some of them. And um, before we jump right into some of Anthony's brews, some of the last things we have been doing in Faces Brewing, we have a few spoilers that we missed on the last week because they were released two days ago, I think. Yeah. The Mishra Meld card. So we got the Ursa Planeswalker card, and now we have Mishra claimed by Geeks. Yeah, it's they're pretty interesting cards. 
honestly, anytime I see a card with like more text than there are words in a book, I get like, I'm like, ah, that's too much for me to read. Um, but you know, I think both cards are fairly strong by themselves, like the dragon engine and Mishra. Now I'm not sure like whether it's for pioneer or modern, if they're strong by themselves, but like, I'm probably more intrigued by just the dragon engine by itself. Okay, so let's read the card before everybody gets into chaos. First, we have Mishra claimed by Geeks, a 4 mana 3 5 legendary creature, Fearx, and human artificer. Remember, everybody, a lot of cards have been errated into having the Fearx attack line, all infect creatures. Um, a lot of the angels are Fearxian as well, like Atraxa and Chancellor of the Annex are all Fearxian now as well, so it's now a pretty common type. And it reads, whenever you attack, each opponent loses X life and you gain X life, where X is the number of attacking creatures. If Mishra attacks with a creature named Phyrexian Dragon Engine, and you both own and control them, exile them and meld them into Mishra lost to Phyrexia. And it enters the battlefield tab and attacking. We are gonna get back into that. And then we have the maybe playable in modern card. Yeah, which is a Phyrexian Dragon Engine, which is a 3 mana artifact creature Phyrexian Dragon. Uh, it has double strike. It's 2-2 when it enters the battlefield from your graveyard, which is the key part here. Not just enter the battlefield, it has to enter from your graveyard. You may discard your hand if you do draw three cards. So it has like the Ox of Agonis effect stapled on it, uh, except when it comes out of the graveyard. Um, so obviously when you have both of those out, you know, you can meld them into Mishra lost to Phyrexia. Super importantly, also on the Phyrexian Dragon Engine, it has an okay, Earth. Yeah. So you can get into play attacking and it melts immediately. So this is so the friction dimension is like an inverse ox of Agonas. Like it has invest, instead of two and four, instead of two and five, it's three and five and five. Like it's more from the graveyard because it doesn't have scape or anything. It's just unearthed and you get a two-two double struggle with haste and draw three cards. Yeah, it's obviously not going to be good in the shells that ox is in because ox being two mana to you know bring exactly. back. But I think it could be in some other shells. So in the shells that could be interesting. I think. Okay, we can talk about that after we go to the Mishra Lost to Phyrexia. So let's say you get these two creatures on the board and you get them attacking. You then transform them both into Mishra Lost to Phyrexia. A 9-9 that will enter the battlefield attacking, that whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, just in case for everybody to be sure, this only triggers once, like in that turn, because it enters the battlefield, but it didn't trigger the attack one, it just triggers the enter the battlefield one, because it enters already attacking. You choose three options out of six. Target opponent discards two cards, bolt any target, destroy target artifact or planeswalker, creatures you control gain menace and trample until end of turn, creatures you don't control get minus one, minus one, and creature and create two tap power stone tokens. So this the moment it flips, this is like an immediate 4 for 1, right? Get a 9-9, bolt, destroy something, opponent discards two, or give it trample for lethal because it's a 9-9. It's pretty much like it's hard to imagine on a fairly equal board state that this card doesn't just win you the game. Even if they find a way to kill it, you're still like, just, you're so far ahead on whatever, whether it's against a control deck, you make them, you know, you mine rot them or whatever. I think, I'm not sure if it's playable in modern, like the two together, it might be a little too slow. Plus there's like solitudes and stuff like that just might get around it. But it is, it's hard to say like, it's not, you know, insanely powerful if you can find a way to get it to stick. Yeah, the biggest problem is Mishra being almost a 4-mana vanilla 3-5 on Ragdos, right? Yeah, which is not what that those colors generally like to do. Exactly. The Phyrexian Dragon Engine, though, immediately after you got spoiled, beautiful brewer, aspiring Spike immediately said, I know I'm a Goblin Engineer addict, but... but yeah, I mean, it's, 
it's perfect for Goblin Engine. And when I saw that tweet, I, I was just like, yeah, that's perfect. Because like sometimes, and like, especially in modern and with Goblin Engineer, you are only usually putting like one card that you really want in there, whether it's like Parhelion in the Grease Fang decks, or maybe like, you know, Grinding Station if you're playing it. Like, normally you're only playing it in modern to find like one key card and then most copies after that don't feel as good when you draw it in my experiences at least yeah um i think with the phyrexian dragon engine it's great because it it makes your goblin engineers later turn into like card advantage almost where if you top deck an engineer you can like search for the dragon engine put it in unearth draw three cards that seems fairly strong just to have as a one of and like by itself a three Mana 2-2 two, two, double strike. It's bad, but it isn't completely unplayable. Yeah, it's not the worst thing ever. Like, I'm definitely going to test one in, a, in the Grease Fang list that I played a while, just because I think it's free. And I think it having an Earth on its own, like, you got a lot of the things you get with Engineer, like the... What's the name of the egg? Icor, Icor Wellspring. Oh, yeah, yeah. Are amazing value-wise, but the problem is Engineer tends to die, and you just did nothing. However, if the engineer got this into the graveyard, it's almost like ETB. It drew, it drew you a card, right? Yep. Because now you have a five mana chuchu that draws you three, that has a season pyromancer and trigger, just draws you three yeah. cards and discard your hand. So that's actually a pretty great interaction. Also with an earth. Yeah, and most engineer deck, I feel like you're normally not chock full of cards in your hand. Your curve is usually pretty low. Yeah. You're running, you know, you're maybe you're playing like an Asmo shell, so you're discarding cards and all that stuff. So like this, just being able to draw three in, a, in most decks that lack card advantage, I think I think people are going to mess around with it, and I think it's going to be cool. I'm not sure if it's going to be like absurd, but I think it's going to be good enough to see play in modern in those type of shells. Yeah, yeah, I really like it, and I think it's any sort of Mishra lost to Phyrexia, like the Melkar Seas play. It's gonna be a hundred percent on the back of Phyrex and Dragon Engine being pretty good. Yes. Yeah. And Mishra claim by Geeks just added as a one of yep. fun and you getting to transform. If it was three mana, if Mishra was three mana and it could also be yeah. unearthed, then I would think like you could actually probably get away with playing one or two in like a weird engineer type shell. Yeah, Ragdos with four unearthed in the main deck, Academy Manufacturer as just getting a, a priest, a, getting a got lot of good three drops with their unearth. Because then you're looking at like a you know Critical mass of right three drops. Yeah, and turn four, and you know you have you could cheese out like a Mishra lost. Yeah, that that could be pretty good. But unfortunately, four mana might be a bit too much for modern purposes. But I think the Dragon Engine's good. Both of them have been made in a manner like this and Ursa, where you can flip them on curve. Like Ursa costs three, and it reduces the cost of the other part to four, and then that one taps for two mana, so you can pay the seven with your fifth land drop. And this one is the same. It's a turn three creature without haste into a turn four creature without haste. However, as the Theodore has have haste, if it dies, you can unearth it, get it back, and on turn 5, flip. Yeah, yeah they, they, they built it nicely that it can't be, like, abused. I mean, like, I'm sure there's still going to be, like, maybe in Standard or Pioneer, which I don't really think. Yeah. You know, um, there, there could be ways that it's it's better because it's a little bit slower format. In Modern, you know, if you're, you're just going, like, turn 3, turn 4, turn 5, hope these both live to attack you, you know. So if... If they leave, you're getting comboed, and if you're not getting comboed, they're gonna die. So the only way they survive is if you don't. Yeah, I, I think that's why the dragon engine, because even if it dies, you bring it back. You know, I, I think that's probably the most playable. Exactly. So, with that being said, two of the new spoilers. Hope more to come in a few days. I think it's two weeks till they start releasing them. Why don't you just fire up 
on your first brew of the day? So what I've been working on the past, uh, probably like this past week, was, you know, when Sarah Paragon came out, I was just like, man, like, I never liked Luris because I thought the card was overpowered. Um, and I don't like playing with those cards. If you don't know already, Ragavan, Ren and Six can all eat it. Same with Yorion. Uh, no, no, no. See, you always have to step out of your line. Gotta take a couple jabs at the dumb flying noodle bird fish thing. Um, you know the first 5-0 with your necklace is going to be mine with Iorion, right? going to be very sad. But, so I, I was trying to think of shells. I'm like, okay, like, what can be, like, I've seen people mess around with it and, like, uh, Devoted Druid as a one-of just for, like, incremental value and stuff like that. I think it's, you know, probably fine. But I was like, what can I jam four in and just be, like, the super grindy pile? Because I think in Modern right now, like, you either have to be, like, super fast to get under, like, you know, a creativity or type deck or whatever. Or you got to be like super grindy and can like just like hang on and hang on and out grind these decks. And it's really hard to do in a format with Yorion, Omnath, Renin 6, Expressive Iterations. Like it's really hard to out grind these decks if you're not also playing those cards. And I refuse to play those cards. So it's always a challenge of mine. I'm like, how can I do that if I'm not playing, you know, some fast or a combo? So Ant everybody plays with his own deck list of banned cards. So he has his own deck list, and opponents do not respect it. Something about like those cards, like it's it's not as challenging to win with those cards. Not that like people who play them aren't good. Obviously, they are. Um, but it's just not as fulfilling to me to win with them because everybody wins with them. It's hard not to win with them. So this build was like a take on Martyr Proc, which was a deck, probably one of the early modern decks. You know, I don't remember exactly what date, but it was a thing when I started playing Modern. It was using Martyr of Sands and Proclamation Rebirth to rebuy your Saracens and your Martyrs and create this really grindy, you know, I was playing Ranger of Eos to grab two one-drops. It was really hard once the deck's engine got going to kind of keep up with it because they're gaining six life a turn with, you know, proccing a Martyr. They're playing Squadron Hawks, with which can chump for a while. They play, you know, so I kind of took that shell and I just jammed you know, I said, how can I make this grindier? Because right now, you know, the older versions probably weren't as much. I took the core of, you know, kept it with Sarah Ascendant, Martyr, Squadron Hawks. Um, I'm not playing any Ranger Vios, the four drops, just because I'm playing Sarah Paragon in that spot. So I'm playing Ranger Captain, which is really, really good. Uh, it's great versus Cascade if you can play it on curve and they don't have like a subtlety or something for it. Or I guess, you know, for Rhino's sake, a Leyline Binding. You know, that still can grab your Saracen and your Kami of False Hope, the one of Thraben Inspector to get you a little card advantage later in the game if needed. Um, so then, and then comes to like kind of like the off, not off the wall, because these cards are not off the wall, but like a little different than normal Martyr is a Stoneforge, which sees play in some lists, but some like don't play it in favor of, you know. How has Stoneforge been? It's been fine. It's, it's like another threat that you got to answer because some, you know, Damage removal decks can't really deal with Cauldra. Hmm. I, you know, I don't know if I were to cut it what I'd play instead because I think it's... Plus, it's really good with Sarah Paragon. You know, you play Sarah Paragon, you rebuy your Stoneforged, and, like, you know, that like yeah. that, that that's happened quite quite a lot. So it's it's been pretty good. You're playing the equipment package of so, so, sort of Fire Ice, Batter Skull, and Cauldra. So, and then in the enchantments, I'm on four on the nice. Um, I go back and forth if that should be, like, March... Or solitudes, but Anthonite just being a one another one drop to take care of like a Ragavan on the draw, I found has been pretty good. Plus, it deals with Merc Tide really efficiently. 
So I've been pretty happy with it. And then for Abiding Grace, which is like a proclamation of rebirth on steroids. It's three-man enchantment. Either you gain, at the end step, you either gain one life, which don't underestimate that. I've used that quite a lot. Or you return target creature card with mana value one from your graveyard to the battlefield. So you're rebuying Sarah Ascendant every turn if if they've... My Murktide opponent went through all four Unholy Heats every single game, and I must have had like 20 Sarah Ascendants come into play. They just like kept, you know, they EE'd me a bunch and all this stuff, and it just like didn't matter. They kept removing them, and they just kept like, yeah. coming Game back. one, Murktide can't beat or resolve the Biden Grace. It's just, they don't have EE to get rid of it. They have Ottawara to bounce and encounter it, but like, yeah, they have to find their one of Ottawara. I don't know. Anytime, I, my Murktide record's 6-1 and one right now. And abiding grace has just been insane. Like, you, like if you could protect it with a ranger captain, and then you just start. Plus, like you get to call me a false hope, people. So, call me a uh, false hope for those of you guys who don't know is a Kamigawa card from that block. It's a one-one spirit for a white. It, when you sacrifice it, you prevent all combat damage that will be dealt this turn. So, with abiding grace, you sack it on their turn. On your, you know. They don't do any damage to you. On your turn, you get it back, and you just rinse and repeat if they can't find a way. So against, like, Hammer, Hammer can't... It's a good sporty frog loop from back in the day. Yeah, Hammer can't beat Kami. Just Like, at least game one, I'm, like, 99% sure they don't... Most lists, I should say, don't play any, like, marches, main board, or anything like that. So they just can't beat you doing that. And that, you know, if you know you're... Once you see her against Hammer, if you have a Ranger Captain, 99% of the time... I'm just getting Kami right away and just hoping I can find an Abiding Grace. So basically what the deck is trying to do, it it plays some really grindy elements, right? You have the ability to make a turn 2, 6, 6 lifelink flying with Sarah Senan and Martyr. You have Squadron Hawks to... It's basically a card advantage card, right? It's most of the time you're drawing three cards and they're all Squadron Hawk. So Squadron Hawk makes getting something like Sword of Fire and Ice a lot better with your Stoneforge because it almost guarantees you having a decent creature. Yeah, and nobody and like people, it it feels really bad to bolt a fuck a Squadron Hawk because you're just like, oh, he's just gonna play another one. I just waste, you know, like that's that never feels good, and it feels great if you're the one playing Squadron Hawk. Like I, I, I've gotten a bunch of Squadron Hawks bolted in unholy heated this week and i'm like oh that's great i have another one but at the end of the the day with this deck your your grind what you want to be doing is sarah paragon and abiding grace like in terms of your your permanence like that's just a lot of value that like later in the game after they burn their removal on sarah ascendant and ranger captain and stoneforge mystic and all that stuff and you kind of grinded them out of their removal like i can't tell you how many times i played against shadow or murktide and I can I sent more to screenshot today of me playing against Shadow, and they had like four unholy heats, three drowns, a terminate, two Colagons commands, you know, three counter spells, blah blah blah, all in their uh, two fatal pushes in their graveyard, and I and I was at like forty life, and they were at like three, and it didn't even matter that you know they did that because like once you get the engine going, it's so hard to disrupt, especially game one. You know, it, I think it gives you a good chance against most really fair decks in the format, the Merc Tides of the World, Shadow even hammer and then you know you also get like the long long term backup plan in the mana base of playing like one amaria the sky ruin which if you get that online against any grindy deck probably impossible to lose if you just start rebuying ranger captains and sarah paragons hmm. you're just like oh yeah you're, you're not beating this um so like what what i found the the good matchups are um like in the main board wise like merc tides felt, felt pretty good shadow like any creature based deck that revolves around doing combat damage it has been 
you know, really, really good affinities of Breeze. You know, the, the decks where you, you want to kind of avoid are combo, like creativity has been rough just because like they don't care about. Yeah, combo, I think, just goes over you. Yeah, I mean, like you have four Ranger Captains in the main board, which can like maybe buy you some time to get like, I, I haven't played against Living End or Rhinos yet this whole week. I don't know what's wow. going on. I played against like, you know, a bunch of Merktide, a bunch of creativity, Merfolk, this, that, and the other hammer. I. So I'm still kind of, the jury's out to see how it would do. Um, having four ranger captains is like not terrible. Plus like living in, you could just try to gain a bunch of life early, get martyrs in the graveyard and stuff like that. And then just kind of like a 6-6 six, six Saracen, it's basically better than anything they could put into play besides the 7-7 seven, seven thing that's escaping me, the name I forget. Um, so maybe living in game one might not be like horrendous. It's probably not great. Um, hmm. But yeah, you want to avoid combo if, if you had the choice um but otherwise like the main board's been pretty great i've changed a few numbers here and there talking to mord about it yeah i I don't know outside of like you know mord's favorite thing is yorinizing all the decks i sent him um i'm not sure what i would change outside of maybe trying like solitude it's a fun hobby yeah yeah so what about solitude and sunscour uh sunscour is the like pitch two white cards right yeah it's been a while i like remember seeing it it's from cold snap yeah destroy all creatures you may exile to i mean like that's not bad with squadron hawk i just don't know like again your creature matchups are already good so it's like okay yeah it makes sense you can just lock them out yeah like solitude i could see over on the nice just because like it's an instant which sometimes comes up a bit more the the kind of somewhat good thing about on the nice is like you can buy him back with sarah paragon which has come up once or twice like somebody like made me discard it and later in the game I was able to, you know, have one mana open after I cast Sarah Paragon and then bring it back. And like that's felt pretty good. What I'm surprised of is zero marches. Like have you been fine with only four removal spells? Yeah, I mean like I gained so much life. Um that okay. that like again the creature You can afford a beat down. Yeah, like the, when I see like Merktide, unless like Merktide has the starts of like you know, on the play, they go like Ragavan into Bolt your dude, you know, turn, you know, uh, and then turn three Merktide, and then you're under like so much pressure and they have a counter spell to back it up. That's really the only way I found myself like losing to Merktide. I like today when I played, I like they had a, a eight nine Ledger Shredder, an eight eight Merktide, and hmm. then and, and like I still crushed them. Like they That's were doing, right. they were doing all this stuff, but like, you know, I had like six cards in my hand, I, I had Abiding Grace going um they kept having to kill everything i played and it just came back and all that stuff like they were just i put so much pressure on them early i think i got like a turn two sarah sending out and they took a while to find delirium um and then like in the sideboard which is probably like the biggest thing which i go back and forth on i'm playing two targets two more targets for ranger captain one burnt and forge tender which is just you know good against ragaman decks burn um just like a fine tutor target saves your like Stoneforge from removal against those decks, which is pretty nice. And then one giant killer, which again can take okay. can take care of like a Merktide and Archon. I'm surprised by no Cathar Commando. So I was playing Cathar over the Seal of Cleansings, but I realized like if I'm on the draw, I'd rather have a two mana answer than a three okay. mana than a three mana answer. Yeah, and you can also just get back the seal with Serra, so it's not like you're losing on any synergies. Yeah, you're, you're, the value's still there with Sarah Paragon, which is great. Plus, like... It's a tiny le- bit less of value because you cannot keep it through buying it. Yeah, I would say that seal, I think, is better 
against like a breach style deck that plays removal because it would feel really bad if you went like turn two flash and cathar commando and they were like all right bolt it before you get a chance to activate it then they go like untap breach kill you where with seal of cleansing you could just stick it on turn two and let it sit there until they find a way to deal with it so i've, I've kind of like that's come up once where i'm like yes i think i at one point i had a uh two one split but I like overall like sealed cleansing just sticking on the battlefield has been a bit better it's obviously worse against pithing needle effects because they'll see it coming if you don't use it right away but like that yeah of course that hasn't come up too much um and then i'm playing three hollowed moonlight which is you know really good against creativity really good against living in good against rhinos good against yogmoth it's got a lot of i think it's you know finally people are starting to catch on but it's super super yeah. good right now Super powerful card. Um, I got two ruined Halo, which I'm testing out because I realized like I'm pretty bad. Yeah, pretty bad against like I got smashed one of my losses today against uh, Red Green Scapeshift. I felt like I could do nothing. Like I put some early pressure on them and then they just like tightened me and I'm like, well, that was fun. Sadly, I think that still happens even if you have like if you still have the ruined Halo, you're just gonna consistently clear your board. Like I don't know if yeah. It, 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 it could be something else. I mean, it's also good against creativity because you name Archon and then it stops their trigger, which could be relevant. Oh, yeah, that's uh, that's actually the most relevant. That's actually the good part about the Archon, not the 6-6. Six, six. Yeah, especially... Yeah, I mean, like, you just play Ruined Halo and Archon and if, they, if they're if they on, like, the non-green piles and they can't remove it, like, they literally can't deal damage with Archon because they can't target you, they can't... They might have value against some other, like, random decks like that rely on, like, maybe one or two big things. I don't know. It's a test spot. So some beautiful four ones with Martyr Grind. Yeah. So and then the one of that I'm testing that I'm going to test is God Eternal Ketra. Um, and some judge may have to correct me because I literally just threw it in my sideboard. I haven't tested it yet. It hmm. reads when when it dies or is put into exile from the battlefield. So and technically this can get around leyline binding. Because Leyline Binding exiles it, which would cause God Eternal yeah. Oketra to go third from the top. So you just keep... you just always send it to the, to the third spot. Yeah. So like it's really hard for those decks to get rid of. Plus, like you know, it's really good with Squadron Hawk and stuff like that. Because you're just like you hold your Squadron Hawks in your hand. You play Ketra, and then they turn into four four zombies. They make four four zombies. So in theory, it should be good. It might be good against like the grindier decks that you're you might have struggle with, like the Yorion Ren decks and all that stuff. Like this could be like one of like the a bomb that you could play and you're just like oh like now i can get far ahead again but yeah the deck's been really good i'm excited to keep playing with it i think if the meta shifts more like if creativity gets knocked down a peg somehow and the meta shifts more towards like the hammer strategies merc tide shadow all that stuff i think this is a like a really good list to play because you can outgrind those decks even through all the iterations of the world and stuff like that if the meta favors living in rhinos creativity and that's kind of what it, a lot of it is then you know, this deck is not going to do as good. So, and just don't don't put Yorion in it, and you'll be good. For now, eventually I might just Yorionize this because I love Serra Paragon, and I'm looking for any excuse to play that card. Yeah. Shall we go on to the next one? Yeah, let's go. So we have what we know as Waste Children, which should tell you 99% of what the deck is. Yeah, so, and like, the I got to give a shout out to Dylan uh cruz mtg who's a huge waste not guy he's like the waste not guy he posts wacky waste not brews all the time on twitter um but i remember probably like a year or so ago i was talking to this guy and i don't have him at it anymore i lost his contact or whatever but he was playing a waste not build with dreadhorde arcanist which is uh 
you know, I thought was really cool at the time. And I found the list and I looked at it. And so I kind of tweaked it from there. Newer cards and this and that. Um, so basically, you have a couple combos, I guess, in the deck. Um, number one is Waste Knot, which, if you don't know, is really good with discard outlets. When you when you make them, disc- it's an enchantment. When your opponent discards a creature, you get to put a 2-2 zombie. When you, they discard a land, you add two black. And when they discard a non-creature, non-land, you draw a card. So with effects like Thoughtseize and Inquisition, it turns into like card advantage for you. Whether you're going to make a zombie or draw a card, like that's it's like a pretty solid effect. Where it gets broken is when you add in cards like Burning Inquiry, which is each player draws three cards, then discards three cards. So, you know, a lot of times you could play like Waste Not on turn two, Inquiry on turn three. And you could end up making like two zombies, drawing a card, having some mana floating, play a shieldred or something like that. Like the, you know, there's endless possibilities of how either great it could go or poorly, right? You could make them discard three lands and you discard all your spells and you're sitting there like, oh, that was great. So there's a bit of variance to it. Um, but you are playing. So that's the combo, really. Burning Inquiry and Waste Knot. That's what you want to, that's what the deck is trying to achieve. Now, in order to kind of protect that or survive until then, you're playing the classic, like, black red shell of four Inquisition, four Thoughtseize, four Bolt, four Fatal Push, four Terminate. So you got 12 removal spells, which I'm always. This might be the most interaction I've ever seen you play. Well, I hate, like, my thing is, like, I hate being attacked by Ragavan. So I got to have at least, I have to have eight removal. If I'm playing a deck, like, with Bolts and stuff, I'm playing eight of them minimum. Like one drop, because like if I get hit by a Ragman, I lose my mind. Um, so you have twelve removals, eight discards. That's yeah. a lot of interaction. Yeah, and then you know you're playing four Profane Tutor, which we'll get to in a second, and then one Colagon's Command is like the one of in the deck because it's a discard outlet. It can rebuy your things. You know the Shatter effect. Always you're gonna find yourself being like, oh thank God. Um, and then so the creatures we're playing four Dreadhorde Arcanus, which is a super super powerful card. Banned in Legacy. Um, obviously not as powerful in modern, but in the right shell, if, if you get to untap with it, you feel pretty far ahead because you're playing so many one drops, like the best play that I've done with it, I think is like inquisition, take your removal spell, you know, play Arcanus. They don't, let's say they just play land, go attack with Arcanus, flashback inquisition, you know, something like that. Like that feels so good. Also against creature decks. Like I think I played against elves. And I like bolted their turn one play, played turn two Arcanus, and they just conceded. Arcanist is insane against non-interactive opponents. Yeah. You just bury them. And like, that's what it felt like for people that have played against it before. Like, if you can't deal with it right away, it's miserable. Because you're just like, in this deck, there's no cards that really draw. There's no, you know, Serum Visions or something to flashback of that nature. But just like flashing backs, bolts, Fatal Push, Inquisition. Um, Where it gets spicy is Profane Tutor. Uh, with Dreadhorde Arcanist. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah, so, you know, it comes up every now and then where you either, you know, play an Arcanist, Arcanist and, you know, you, your Profane Tutor's in the graveyard from, like, a Burning Inquiry, then you attack with Arcanist, flash back Profane Tutor, and that becomes free Demonic Tutor, essentially, which is really good. Maybe you go get another Waste Knot, a Burning Inquiry, a Removal Spell. Um, so it's pretty fow- powerful. Plus, it lets you find, like, your Waste Knots and your Burning Inquiries, whatever piece you're missing, because normally, normally you'll have one in hand. Um, so it allows you to find the last piece to kind of do your thing. And then the last spicy part is the Shieldred, the Apocalypse, which is like the pioneer all-star of the world. Everybody loves this card, and it's super cool. Four or five, that touch for four. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two. So with Burning Inquiry and Shieldred out, it becomes double Lightning Bolt them, double Healing Salvu, you know, drain them for six, you gain six, which is super powerful. Um, and it's a way to, cl- plus like decks that can't remove this, 
if you, like you grinded them out with some removal and you slam this and like they're like oh crap like it's just gonna put in so much work every turn um i think it's underexplored in modern this card i'm not sure if this is the best shell for it but i think in modern it's a bit tougher than in pioneer yes. because this is one of my biggest complaints in pioneer is how less efficient the removal is than the threads in modern it's the other way around yes. right no 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 i, I Play, playing she already into but you're playing a lot of these cards to enable Shieldred. Yes, yeah, and I think, um, like, if you want to play Shieldred, you either have to play back with a lot of discard to protect it, and hopefully, like, it survives a couple turns, or, like, some type of deck that it's a control deck with counter spells or something. But in this deck, I think it does pretty good as a top end. Yeah. And the game, you know, I'm going to slam this, you play Burning Inquiry, or, like, I think the one time I turned, like, three'd this by, like, you know, burning inquiry get, makes some mana, and I think I had like a red floating had another inquiry, and it was just like so strong that I'm like, like I, I was so happy when I, I think I, the first time I took this list through a league, I went four one. I lost out on the five zero to a really close match against Creativity. Um, I don't know if this is the best version of it. If like the numbers should be changed, if I'm playing too many removal, this that, and the other, it's just kind of my deck building philosophy with these decks is to play like four ofs of all your removal. I just don't like getting attacked by things. <laughs> Yeah, the deck is pretty consistent at what it tries to do. The question is, it's like, is the variance going to be on your side? Um, a lot of the times, like, I burning inquiried and won the game because I turned one inquiried when I had nothing else to do. And there's sometimes where you like turn two, turn three inquiry with waste not. You get really unlucky hits. You discard your gas, and you're just sitting there like, okay, that was sucked. that sucked. You know, more times than not, it's going to work out in your favor. Um, and then the sideboard. And we're playing a you know a pretty standard black red mana base. Uh, in the sideboard, we got some other fun stuff like. So, I realized I was playing like unlicensed hearse in the first like when I was testing the deck. Yeah, in the first rules or like other random graveyard hate dothies and stuff like that. But then I'm like, I just want leyline because against like decks like Merktide, you don't want to be fueling their graveyard with burning increase so they can turn to a Merktide and you're just like, oh, good god. So leyline just becomes really really good. Um, making them discard especially and it also has great value against not only Merktide, but living end and all those fun graveyard decks breach so on and so forth so playing four leyline two Coligon's command the sideboard for the hammer matchup three hitasugo consumes all again for hammer or other you know low to the ground elf strategies two turok super good against the solitude leyline binding decks running around it's also great with waste knot you know, you make them discard two cards at random, you get, you know, a card in a zombie for it, and you got a 4-3. Like, that feels pretty good. Um, plus, like, you can ramp this, you can kind of ramp into this a little earlier with Waste Knot, depending if they discard some lands. And then two Blood Moons in the sideboard. Blood Moon just super, super good right now with all the domain strategies running around that... Yeah, I'm surprised you don't have any Blood Moon in the main deck. I did have one Blood Moon to tutor for with Profane Tutor, but I put it in for Colagon's Command. Which I could see, you know, taking out the Colagon's command and playing the one of Blood Moon, uh, tutor four. But again, I like removal spells, and I feel like you know Colagon's command's pretty good right now as well. Which could just be me. But overall, like, I'll probably test a bit more with this deck because Dreadhorde Arcanus is one of my favorite cards, um, and like just untapping with it. There's a few better feelings of Magic. This is probably like a top ten for me. Like you know, untapping okay. and being like, "Oh yes, I get to do." I crazy mean, Arcanist has the power of just being a creature that if it gets to swing, it's amazing. It doesn't even have to connect. While being a two drop, like a lot of the cards that have this text are have to be three drops or four drops. The power in this card is in being a two drop. Yeah, 
Yeah, when they, I don't know what they were thinking when they printed this with how efficient everything is in Magic nowadays. Um, yeah. But, and like, there's a lot of games where you're like, I think the best sequence I had was like, turn one, you know, discard your removal, turn two Arcanist, it survives. I go turn three, like, waste not plus burning inquiry, attack with Dreadhorde Arcanist, flashback burning inquiry. You just create so much value off waste not then. You might have drawn like three, four more cards, make three zombies, whatever, this, that, and the other. The upside of it is huge, I think, not to include in the deck. It kind of gives like, and plus, like, it's a it eats a removal spell on site, which again is another removal spell not pointing out like Shieldred or something. Like, you don't need Arcanus to win. It's just look at it a bit like Snapcaster Mage type of thing, where it's just like super good value if it you know does its thing. Um, obviously, Snapcaster doesn't have it to attack, but you know Arcanus still still super strong if if you can uh, protect it or leave it unchecked for a bit. Yeah, exactly. I'm just going Arcanist into this card, into this card, has to be perfect. Like, discard for one, turn two Arcanist, turn three, three points blocker, attack with Arcanist, get another discard spell or another removal for a second blocker. It's an insane amount of value that forces your opponent into a good top deck. Yeah, plus, you know, know, it can't be Ren and Six pinged, which is like, anytime I look at a card, I'm like, well, this card loses to Ren and Six. So is it that good? Because Ren and Six played in like every deck nowadays. So it, it's a good card. It's a fun card. It's it's probably I, another card that may be underexplored currently in modern, as you know. There's good, you know, one mana spells that can still be recurred and all that. I'll, I'll keep I'll keep messing with it. Maybe in other shells, but in that shell, I really like it. I think it's a fun deck if you like those like black red type of decks. That this one has a bit more flavor to it than the typical you know black red shells. All right, perfect. I that seems like a super fun one. I think. Yeah. The, my only problem is Burning Inquiry being a bit of a dead card without Wasteland or Shieldred. Like, in this re- type of text, you tend to need every top deck to be good. Yeah, there's no, like, Hollow One. or Like, I had, uh, like, a one of Kroxa, so if I discarded it, or, like, a Squee, the new Squee, which yeah. I could see playing. Like, maybe you cut a Shieldred down the two, and you play, like, a Squee or a Kroxa. Like, I could see that. But, yeah, I mean, like, super high variance. It's I think the Martyr, out of the two so far, the Martyr deck is probably the most competitive, but the... Okay. Shieldred, you know, waste not deck is the more fun. The most fun. Ex- yeah, yeah. It's just super fun. Like whenever, whenever you can go turn two waste not. Yeah. You imagine feel the curve of turn two, red card can East turn three waste not, cast inquiry attack, cast inquiry. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It's, 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 super yeah it's super fun when that happens, and it does every once in a while. So if you like that style deck, I recommend giving it a giving it a run. Who knows? Maybe. A, you could run super hot with it because, like, you know, if your variance is good with Burning Inquiry or you run into the right, like, you know, matchups, there's a chance that, like, you can do pretty well with it. All the lists we're mentioning today, these two and then two to come, are going to be present in the in the notion, in the drive views for that all our patrons get access to every week. So you're going to find the 75 of every single deck list we're talking about with um, if you ever need to try one of them. Just, yeah, try, uh, just be, um, responsible when you try them don't don't start messaging me about how bad they are after they'll they'll all go smoothly as according to plan but um the last one which is a list that i've sent more i don't know like since last year like this esper vile type list i five owed with it like last year before before modern horizons 2 playing you know the wasn't it a lot closer than that um I think sure. all, it I was think definitely was softer. It was no, it was definitely I wasn't playing Solitudes, so it was like pre MH two. I don't think I was even playing a memory. I would have to look, um, but it's a super 
It's it's basically a super synergy deck. Yeah, I five would with it twenty twenty one. Yeah, I was I was getting confused with the other processor deck list. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um, <laughs> so so what this deck if, for those of you who are not familiar, Esper Vile is a deck in Legacy that plays like a very grindy, you know, creature based Aether Vile deck with like some really strong synergies and tutor effects and all that stuff. It, it's my dream deck. So the deck plays. I'm gonna show sure resume. It plays the four recruiters of the guard that get access to cards like Spellseeker that can get you an Earth Ephemerator Brainstorm. It can get you Peacekeepers, so opponent cannot attack. It can get you, of course, stuff like Baleful Strix, just grindy. Soul Herder, Benzer, Palace Shaler, Skyclay, Apari- a minion creature, so it gets you not only a creature toolbox, but also an instant or sorcery toolbox because you can ward, you can recruiter for Spellseeker for Ephemerate, so you can get. So you can blink again your, your Recruit of the Guard into Palace Shaler and just get the Monarchy. It has some really insane line. I always like that strategy and, and you know, the deck and Legacy. Um, so I've, a while ago I tried to, you know, build it modern, had some success with it. Then I, you know, I've come back to it. I, I, I keep coming back to it every once in a while because I love, you know, the spice I kind of added to it was, you know, th- there's not many good, like Legacy is a lot different than modern where, you know, you want to close the game with creatures. Legacy, you just drown them out in card advantage and you're just like, oh, okay. Like you've cast Brainstorm three times and you have eight cards in your hand, you know, something like that. For Modern, it's not about that as much. So I needed a faster way to close the game. And that of choice for me was Valky um, combined with Release to the Wind. So if you play a Valky, it comes into play, you do its thing where you exile a creature, you can release to the wind to exile Valky, and then you can recast it from the Tybalt side. So potentially you can go, you know, turn two Valky, turn three, release to the wind. You have a, you know, Tybalt on turn three, which last time I checked is still pretty hard to beat for most decks. You can get a little tricky with it if you have Vile, so you can like hold up mana, you know, they tap out, you Vile it in, and then you, you know, release it so you can get around counter spells, you know, maybe. Um, so that's like the, the one main combo that you're trying to do. It's obviously not needed. But because Valky, you know, the front side of it, when it exiles, it plays really well with the four of Wasteland Stranglers. So you can go like turn two Valky, pick a creature from their hand, turn three Strangled, kill something, exile the creature that was under Valky. The front side of Valky tends to be completely underestimated against aggressive decks. Yeah. Um, like it's not a trip. It's a bad card. Like it's about the Hollow's color, but sure. it isn't completely unplayable. No, having information, like being able to look at their yeah. hand is super valuable especially when you're playing like a weird grindy deck that you want to try to sequence your spells correctly. So if you see that like, oh, the coast is clear, a lot of times like you play Valky and you're like, okay, I can make a Tybalt here, but is the coast clear? And you see it's not, you're like, okay, maybe they'll kill it in response. I can try to flip it, something like that. So you play this weird game within a game when you play Valky, I found. Um, But you do like, you do play the Strangler, the Wasteland Stranglers, which is an Eldrazi processor, which I'm a big fan of to kind of, you know, as a, combo plan b with valky to gain to get some you know advantage from it um the rest of the shell is somewhat similar going on we're playing four tide hollows so another you know great good valky yeah good good valky great with ephemerate which you're playing four of already um great with vile so you can vile it in on their draw step um so like that valky and wasteland stringer that's like a one-two punch right there um we're playing four wall of omens Super good against aggro, one of Mord's favorite cards, I know. Um, and then kind of where I've made some changes to it is I'm playing three Aether Channeler 
You're playing a lot more blue than you used to. Yes. Before it was like a primarily black white deck splash blue for like release. But now I'm playing three Aether Channelers, um, which I found to be pretty, obviously super, super good. Like as like a tempo card, it does a lot. Like worst case, you get to draw a card or make a 1-1 or like maybe you need to bounce something. But like with Ephemerate, it's super, super strong. Combine that with Vile so you can have the mana to like Vile it in, Ephemerate the same turn, bounce two things or draw two cards or something like that. Like that's been pretty good. Uh, and then one, obviously we're playing four solitude because we're playing, we're a white deck that plays ephemerate. So we have game against like Murktai to get rid of it. And then one, uh, Art, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Artai, the Resur uh, Artai Resurrected. I say Artai, but that's Artai. Spanish yeah, it's, me. But that's a Spanish me. Like that's yeah. the Spanish no, pronunciation. No, I, I could be saying it wrong as well, but I've been super impressed with this card. Um, I, any, I mean, like, I don't think it should be played more than like a one or two of in some decks that and that it makes sense to play it in but yeah they get to draw a card when you counter or stifle something but like with ephemerate like i'd much rather kill a, a renin six and they can have a random card than leave a renin six on the table or it's a fairy yeah. or something like that plus like the stifle ability is super super good against some decks in the micromancer like, i have been loving Artai. also as we speak also goldfish is playing mi micromancer so the deck list is slowly popping off yeah, it's um, getting, it's in, in, in that deck list, it was amazing as a stifle effect that's not pretty easy to come by because of stuff like 13 mana and Rakul and a lot of haymakers that just stifling them is enough. Stifle effect with a body, you know. Um, a 3 2 body is nothing to laugh at. Like, I, 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 I got a few wins, I just like countering a card against Tron and just having a 3 2 yeah, like, and just attacking or, yeah, just being able to hold up Ephemerate knowing, like, okay, I'm safe here because I can Ephemerate counter anything they play. Yeah, they and, might draw and something. And I'm hitting but, you for three as well. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, and then like spells, like I said, we're playing four ephemerate, four release as the kind. Of, and plus, don't underestimate release to the wind, exiling, you know, your own solitude and then recasting it for free, or your wasteland stranglers or your aether channelers. Just like you can, it's not just for Tibble um, or Valky. Like it's really, it's obviously the main plan, but don't underestimate it using on a solitude. An Artai, a Wasteland Stranger, like all of your stuff is really good with it. Um, and then we're playing four Vials because this is a great Vile deck. Um, playing, you know, 12 2 drops, 7 3 drops. So, like, Vile on 2 and 3 is always going to be super, super good. Um, cyborg cards, we, it's just basically a lot more like good hate bear creatures. One Containment Priest, a Kataki, two Lavinia. Um, for those of you who don't know, two Leonin Relic Warder, which is like a kind of a, like a blast from the past type card, which not a lot of people play anymore. Um, it's a two mana for two white, two two. When it enters a battlefield, you may exile target artifact or enchantment. So it's Tide Hollows. It has the Tide Hollow text box where it's split in half. Um, because when it leaves the battlefield, they get it back. So yeah. if you play it and then ephemerate it in response to the trigger, you essentially get to take one of their things, exile it permanently, and then take another thing. Which it's is, also worth mentioning that release to the win besides comboing with Balky is also really bad favorite when you need it. Yes. It's also can used on their stuff as well. And I can't tell you how many times, it's got to be over a dozen times, where I've released to the winds, like their Merc Tide and their combat step, and they just don't recast it. Like they think it's permanently exiled or something. Like they didn't read the card and it's just, and I'm like, oh my, I'm like, okay, I'm like, sure. Also, um, yeah, or, or also instead releasing to the win a creature of them and then in your strangling turn, it, yeah. strangling it, western strangler. So release to the win works mostly as a combo with Valky, but it's also a bad ephemerate, a bad way to get rid of a creature for a turn. Like opponent goes get a titan, they give it haste. 
Maybe all you need is the extra turn. You don't care if they have it again in the second main. Maybe all you need is not getting hit for 16. So, yeah, it goes well with Ephemerate and that go well with uh, Relic Warder, two Meddling Mage, again, good versus combo and all that stuff, two Rest in Peace, two Sanctifiers, one Ashiok Dream Render, again, mainly there for the Titan matchup, um, and then one Kaya, which I'm always super high on the play Kaya. Um, so, yeah, it's a super grindy deck. It doesn't close the game super fast, but it has a, like, in testing and from playing the deck a decent amount, if you expect, like, a lot of Hammer and those style of decks, like, you know, I like all the games in Hammer I played, like it just ends with like me having to solitude like 60 times. And, you know, you just like if you get an early Valky that they can't pressure and that you can like protect with Wall of Omens and Aether Channelers and stuff, like it's hard for them to beat that. And you start playing Mirrors of Sagas and all that stuff. So I would say it probably could still use some tweaking. Uh, maybe the numbers are wrong. Um, but overall, super, super fun deck. I love Valky. Obviously, I didn't play it when everybody was cascading into it because that's not fun for me. That's not the fun Valky. That's the that's the good Valky. Yeah, but like nobody expects, you know, release the, the win on Valky. Yeah, no, it's just nobody really sees it coming. So it's another deck that I think um, it's it's similar to the Martyr list um, in terms of like how it plays, like the grindy, like there's a lot of decisions with it and all that stuff, but. Um, you know, definitely a little bit more off the wall spicy than, you know, because Martyr is more of a known commodity than whatever this pile is. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a weird, beautiful pile based on extremely powerful synergies with no way to look for them. When you look at this deck, you feel as if you were looking at the taxes decklist, right? You have the Leonis, you have the Talia. Everything looks perfect, but nothing works with each other unless you draw the specific, the specific combos. Yeah, everything like by themselves is not super powerful. Like, Tide Hollow, just playing Tide Hollow by itself, like that's a pretty poor discard effect. Even it's, a, I know it's a creature, but like, but when you combine that with Ephemerate, with Strangler, you know, and so on and so forth, then it becomes like, oh, this is like much better than just like a, a discard effect. This is like double discard or whatever, and you know, stuff like that. So when you got the right pieces, when the deck is clicking and all that stuff, it feels super, super good. Um, and probably like the reason I'm, I'm excited for Aether Chandler. Outside of Wall of Omens, it lacked card advantage, and this is just like another way to like kind of gain some of that. Plus, you can return your own thing with Channeler, which like has come up a couple times. Like I vialed it in to protect something or whatever. I don't know. Um, I think the card's super super cool in this in this style. And I am playing a Modern Horizons two card. I'm playing Solitude. So see, only like, because it's perfect for the combo. Well, I remember when I was talking to you about the list, like when Solitudes and Griefs were legal, and you're like, "Why aren't you playing Solitude?" I'm like, "Because I don't want to." And then I kept trying to play with the deck, and it just wasn't as good without Solitude. So I made the concession, and I'm like, I guess I can register a number of Modern Horizons 2 cards to play Solitude to make Mord happy. Because that's what I'm here to do, is to make Mord happy. That that is my goal. But like those three, I mean, like if you asked me to rank them... What would be the most competitive one? I would say Martyr from testing so far. I've done the most testing with Martyr, but like it just feels like super, super... Like I don't think I've lost a match... O2 yet? I think uh, no, I lost the Scape Shift O2. That's Scape Shift in some play. I have played a lot of that sort of deck, and Scape Shift is just unwinnable. Um, but like I haven't. I'm six and one against Murktide. I'm three and one against Shadow. I'm three and one against Hammer. Um, one and two against Creativity, and everything else has been pretty good. Like Murfolk, I'm undefeated against. So I think that like I think that deck has like real legs for sure. If you can kind of if you're taking it to a tournament, you know what kind of meta to expect. Also, if you lose to Burn with that deck, you should probably never play again. Because uh, Burn should never beat 
martyr. So if there's a lot of burn in your like local meta and stuff like that, you just want to crush, like go mulligan to a martyr of sands and make your bone burn opponent cry. Remember that everybody. Try them on a white deck, of course. You're a nice solder decks, of course. Well, no, not not that. No, no, that's what that Ant said. He said, you're yeah, a nice solder decks. That's, if, if, if I can't that as a quote. If people start tagging me on Twitter, saying like, I played your list. I'd be like, oh my god, so cool. And then they'd say, like, I put Yorion in it. I think I'd probably like block the tweet from appearing on my page. <laughs> just be like, no. Like this is not I, what I wanted. No, just just play play normal 60 card magic and make me happy. That's what you should aspire to be. Why 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 must people be like this? You know, and I always joke with more, you know, obviously Yorion is a super, super powerful card. If you Yeah, it's a soft dance. There's there's a lot of decks out there that like are just better as Yorion files um you know martyr could it be maybe uh, i'm not sure i refuse to test it to know that i'll leave that to like morden friends and you guys i just you know because i look at decks like when i build them as like could i build this in paper would i enjoy it and i would never build a Yorion deck in paper because if i have to shuffle that thing i think i'm gonna throw throw it across the room yeah i think there's like like the martyr grind combo you can just like, even if I meme about it, I can't, like, urinize it because it depends a lot of the synergy between, like, two cards that it really relies on. Yeah. Like, Serra, Sen, and Plasmartyr. You sort of need, almost, a lot of the cards need to be together. Yes. If not, you just are in a really bad spot. On the contrary, something like what happened with Micromancer, if you are playing so many tutors, you can just do whatever the hell you want. Yeah, I think Micromancer, when I was playing it, um, even... Oh, the question that reminds you, the question I had for you about... Okay, let, let me introduce the deck first and okay. then we go to that. Ah. So the, the final brew, which is the one we're going to discuss, is the one I started, the one posted by Xeno1, uh, like six days ago, he posted 60 card deck list, Micromancer combo with Thassa's Oracle, Spoiler Revolt and such, alongside Step Through. I fell in love with the deck list, of course I immediately urinized it. And now I'm just running it every single time. Got a fast 5-0 with the Esper version, now trying a Sky version based on the power synergies between Micromancer and Ephemerate. So it has been really good. Yeah, well, the list was super unique. It was probably one of the more unique brews that have popped up in yeah. a while, which is always great to see. So I tested it and it was a lot of fun. I think I went 4-1 my first league. Um, I haven't really touched too much of it since. Um, but the question I had from you know you Mord, somebody who's played it a bunch, Yorianized it especially, and just from the last list I've so seen you play, it seems like Aether Channelers should be in there as a, at least a one of value target. I did consider it. The biggest problem with Aether Channeler is when are you? So this is a principle. This is a principle of brewing we both know quite well, which yeah. is when do we want a specific card in our deck list? So looking at the Micromancer deck list. Like, we both know when we're playing a toolbox deck, you only add a card that's part of the toolbox if we think we're going to look for it, because why not just play a better C-drop if we don't think of toolboxing for it, sure. right? Yeah, yeah. And in what scenarios would you, like, step through for Ether Channeler is my bigger question. I don't know if it's a, as much about, like, a step through, you're always, like, Aether Channeler is clearly not as good as Airtime, Micromancer so on and so forth like I, I don't think it should ever be like the first thing you should step through for um but it being like like i think the bounce could be super uh good in that. and like I, i'm not i'm not saying like play four of but i think you could probably play like 
no, no, it's it's a one-off, of course. One Aether Channeler instead of like the fourth Wall of Omens or something like that, because like it does the same thing as Wall in terms of draw, and maybe not Wall is the best cut because Wall's super good when you're trying to survive for the long game. Yeah, Wall has been insane in this deck. Worst case scenario, like maybe you you're, you're like maybe I do need the tutor for this because you know I want to go cycle on turn two, play Aether Channeler, bounce their thing on turn three, like a Saga or something like that, because um, you already have a Micromancer in hand or something. I don't. Listen, the I, I didn't really think about it in terms of like, you know, it's clearly not better than micromancering or getting a, you know, something else like a snapcaster or whatever. Like if that's exactly what you need at that time, but like drawing it as a one of will probably never feel bad is what like kind of my thought was, especially, especially in a Yorion deck that can probably afford to play like a one of that's just like, it's not a bad card. It's not going to be a super great card, but it's always going to be a card that like you never probably mind casting as long as you're not trying to hold up like counterspell or something. Yeah. Also, you can, you know, if you for some reason you don't have ephemerate, you can always just, you know, bounce your own micromancer back to your hand, even though that's pretty poor. It's something you could do um, <laughs> and all that stuff. The one thing I, I, I'm really glad people started doing, and it's something I, I will actually take credit for this, is play Magus of the Moat in the sideboard. Yeah, I remember when Dingo, young Dingo, was streaming, somebody sent him a list to stream it, and I'm like, you gotta play Magus of the Moat in your sideboard. And the first game he played against Elves. And I'm like, Elves can't beat Magus of the Moat. You know, like, they're not gonna bring in dismembers. Oh, you said Moat. I was thinking of, like, I heard a Moon. No, Magus of the Moat. I know you're playing Magus of the Moon in your main board, but Magus... Yeah, okay. I consider the Mouse of the Moat. My problem with Mouse of the Moat is it being an 0-3 instead of, like, Mouse of the Tabernacle, which is a 2-6. You're not bringing in Magus of the Moat against Bolt decks anyway. You're bringing yeah. in Magus of the Moat against Merfolk, who may be bored in. Like, they probably board out their dismembers versus you because it's, they're probably bringing in, like, subtleties and stuff like that and then forces instead of dismembers. Um... It's just like it can buy you so much time if they don't have the dismember. It also like elves can't beat it. That I found, um, hammer can't beat it outside of a ornithopter like flashing in a hammer or ink moth, which you should be able to deal with and stuff like that. Like I can't tell you when I was playing the deck at least how many times I'm like, thank God I put this in my sideboard and they like nobody saw it coming against those strategies. Obviously, like it's trash against, Mer- you know, don't bring it against yeah, yeah. Merktide and st- hoping to buy you time. <laughs> Or like any, you know, any deck like that. Or like, so it's, I think it should be played in the sideboard. I, I would stand by that. I would fight. Okay, I can get behind that. I'm going to try it in my next one. I didn't consider how good it could be against a lot of non-meta decks. Like, sometimes when I sideboard, I just consider the first tier of decks. And then I disregard this thing that, yeah, this just wins you the game against Merfolk. It just wins you the game against Elves. It just likely wins you the game against something like Amulet, at least while being slit, right? really annoying. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah. It's actually something that should at least be taken a look. Angus footfalls is amazing. It's really easy to kill, but yeah, it's super fragile. And but like you're not bringing it in against those decks that are you know even shadow like any deck that's playing removal spells, you're you're not bringing it in because it's just gonna it's gonna eat a removal. They're gonna attack you anyway. You're bringing yeah. it in against like the decks that like you know you, they might have like two or three removal spells in their whole seventy five. Like Merfolk probably plays like four. You know, elves might not play any. You know, those type of strategies. It's pr- it can buy you time against Titan. Um, so I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's fairly free to add in as your sideboard, and, and it's super strong. And plus, it's, it's just a cool, cool card. Yeah. But so mouse, like I, mouse of the mode is the next O three. 
two out of the deck, and then we go three because we play most of the most. But who cares about that? When you win a game with it, you better you gotta. I'm sending you the screenshot and, and Twitter tag me and say thank you for this knowledge. Yeah, of course. That's how it works. Yeah. Otherwise, the Yorion edition I think was right in this list. Dropping the Oracle combo I think was correct, just making it a pure value deck. I really like the Oracle combo as a concept, but the more I play, the more I realize... That's too hard. It's impossible to get. Like, it seems really easy at first sight, but you need a Micromancer to get an Ephemerate, to get the Instant and the Sorcery, and then you just step through for the... Yeah. So you need two step through, or a Micromancer and a step through, the Micromancer to survive through an Ephemerate. And in most cases, if you have a Micromancer that survived through an Ephemerate, you just get, like, Thoughtseize plus new Ephemerate and win regardless, right? There's no need to... Just to go for a combo. If you're doing the, if if you have like that much value, you can just win the decent way. It, it was a lot of slots, and I I think it's super like creative to think of that as a win condition. I just think like it was it was almost too hard to pull off. It was really bad against like the control decks and all that stuff because like you're not playing that much to back it up. Like I think creating like just a more value shell with Micromancer. Man, if they gave a spell seeker in modern, oof. That'd be so cool. This is the proof that Spellseeker would be completely broken. Oh yeah, just a three mana that can do this? Yeah, it would be three mana. Three mana can get get caught with Recruiter of the Guard. It can get two mana spent. Like, a big problem with this deck is you have to run, like, really bad cards because you can't afford to play good cards. Like, because you need to make some concessions. Imagine if you could just get Counterspell. Yeah, it would just, yeah. So, but Micromancer is a really sweet card, so I'm glad to see. I'm, I'm always happy to see people playing, like, Cards that are not the typical, oh, Ren and Six. Like, I know you're playing Solitudes and Teferis, and, like, those are staples, and you need to play them because you're playing cards like Micromancer, like you said. You're not playing them here because they're completely broken, but also because they work super well. They're yeah. very protecting yeah. Micromancer, Solitude with the playset of Ephemerate. Like, if you're playing the full playset of Ephemerate, even if you are if you don't like playing MH2 cards, not playing Solitude just from, like, a synergistic point is yeah. a mistake. Yeah, I think... Uh... The, the way you built it is correct, and hopefully, you know, I'm sure there's still more tweaks, and it's always going to be a deck that can be, because there's always going to be fun or good one-mana spells printed, there's always going to be wizards printed and all that stuff, so it's a deck that can consistently evolve, so if you're looking for, like, a deck that can, you know, you can hold on to, probably, outside of, like, a Yorion ban, which I hope happens. Um, I, I don't think a Yorion ban happens, but every single day I grow more fond of, like, a triple ban of Iteration, Outburst, and Brennan Six. <laughs> just hit the three decks in the top just for fun I don't think it's needed I think the format nah. is fine but whenever people talk about bans I suggest that's the only possible way out right because not hitting one of those three just yeah if, if there is a ban I think it's going to be like two or three cards at once it's not going to simply be like oh Ren and Six is banned and stuff like that it's going to be like Ren and Six and you know Violent Outburst and maybe something like World Title Expressive Iteration yeah something like that which wouldn't kill any deck, but it would just, you know, make the decks that have those cards a lot less. Leading End would be the same deck, but in unable to play at instant speed with and with Force of Negation backup. Red, four color will have to shift out of four color because losing Brennan Six is the best green card into likely something like Asodius or Sheskai. Maybe like four color piles with Omnath, but a really soft green splash. Yep. Like that's mostly what will happen. And regarding the Micromancer, I have never been on a deeper dive on one on like Oh. Bullets to get, right? Because Step Through has to be one of the best tutors in Magic. Yeah, two mana, find a wizard, yeah. And oh, Micromancer I've... is amazing at finding what it has to find. So it's a lot of the time you're like, okay, what's a good one mana spell you can add? And then you have so many. Mm-hmm. 
the fact that the I think the thing that appealed to me most about the deck was that it was essentially every card outside of like you know the four of the, the solitude yeah was just like a tutor target yeah can, can be found off another card whether it's micromancer or step through so like the consistency of finding those cards was always super it's high it's, it's just like are those cards powerful enough to win you the game yeah so you have to add solitude stiff so the cards that you are that have nothing to do with the wizard shell are solitude because you have four ephemerates wall of omens because you have four ephemerates you have four ephemerates due to the fact you need a lot of them with micro and you need to do something with them when you draw them without a micromancer right yeah so solitude and wall of omens sort of close that gap yeah and that was kind of my point for aether channeler right like yeah. You know, it, being a wizard, being something being to a blink. wizard, being something to blink, like having multiple options, not like, oh, I guess the worst, like with Wall of Omens, you're just drawing a card, which obviously is still good. But with Aether Channel, maybe you need to bounce. Yeah, the bounce tends like to be double, super good. Double bounce against something could be enough, like for you to. I'm adding one and see how it goes. Only one scenario I've been wanting to get it due to the bounce effect because I need to bounce a Leyline Binding for a tempo play. Yeah, yeah. Also, this deck is a great use of Orvar, which is the greatest deck against creativity. Because for anybody that doesn't realize, for anybody that didn't read Orvar, the second line of decks. So this is the only deck I've ever seen that can actually exploit both si both parts about Orvar. Yeah. You have it as a cyborg bullet against discard decks, where you just step through for it when you need it, opponent discards your hand, and you just get to copy a, copy a permanent. Against creativity, when they make you discard, you discard your Orvar, you copy a an Archon and you kill their Archon with your own Archon and then you attack and you just get super ahead. Yeah. But in this deck it's also a win con because if you have cast Orbar and then you ephemerate a Micromancer you get two Micromancers. Yep. Yeah, so and I, then I you mean, just start scalating out of control. I built a 60 card version of the, the Wizards deck. Um, I basically dropped the, the Oracle combo. I actually cut the Teferis, which I'm still not sure is right, for four Aether Channelers to have more ephemerate targets. Which I'm not I mean, saying. Without, without Wall of Omens, it might, you might need to. Like, Wall of Omens has been pretty good at just. Oh, yeah, I think. My hand. I, th I think, like, the re you know, the reason I went for Channeler over. I, I was trying to just see how Channeler was, so I just added it in, like, in yeah. the 60. It, it was pretty good against, like, the creature permanent based matchups. It was obviously, like, pretty, you know, medium against, like, the, the matchups that didn't care that. You know, the bounce effect of the 1-1 one, one bird and all you were doing is drawing a card. Then it was just Wall of Omens that could attack for two. Um, for three mana. So it was like, it was okay. I think, you know, playing the deck, it's just much better as a Yorion deck, which, you know, if that's your style like it is more, then it's something that I would definitely consider as well as a fun deck to, uh, you know, that can always be evolving, which is, I think, like, the best thing about when you build a deck is like, can it can this deck always be improved? If yes, like this is gonna be It's a good not deck something though. like Sleevers where you know that you're having cap like ninety percent of the time. Yeah. This one, any wizard, any one drop, any then you have a lot of weird cards, like the blue march has some, is something that we have considered a while. Mm -hmm. I, and I, then I, we Kaya came with the perfect piece of tech that I had never heard about but has been insane, which is Epiphany of the Drowniard. I don't even remember what that one blue and X, a new factor fiction for X plus one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So you, when you know your micromancer is gonna dump. die, you just micromancer for it, and you go like instead of your opponent this for six, look at seven cards, and you make, and it's like it's gonna draw you three cards. Yeah, that that's that's pretty strong. Um, and then you have the fake wizards like Creep Swap, Orvar, mm -hmm. and the one that got me the latest five O. What's the name of the three mana instant that everybody was that uh, we just laughed about? Nimble obstructions. No, no, the the changeling counter spell. 
Oh yeah, I know. What the, I know what the card is. Um, I saw. I think I saw you actually tweet yeah, that or something. Perfect. The perfect meme. But yeah, deck is super interesting for everybody that wants to try it. We have been working on it. Like we're slowly trying to find the perfect version if it's Sky or Esper. But I seriously recommend everybody that likes these sort of toolbox strategies. This is the best toolbox I have found. Yeah, and in, in a it's a control toolbox. Not to be, you know, it's not a cre- it's it's more so like a controlling style toolbox. Um, outside of like, I would say it's more controlling than creature. Even though it does play creatures, the the overall deck is a control deck trying to grind you out with these. A lot of people like when when Safranoli was playing it were asking how does this win? Like, what's the plan? Like, do you have other soft answer is you get a lot of value and you hit them with a 3-3. Yeah, I mean, I won I, when I was playing the deck It's in its first draft with the Oracle combo, I think I won three out of four matches with beating down with Micromancers and Solitudes and I won one with the Oracle combo. So yeah, it's surprising yeah. how many times like you just grind them, grind them, grind them with stuff and then you like slam a Micromancer and you're just like, woo, I'm going to beat you down. Exactly. Also, a lot of the time you just get the step through Micromancer, Ephemerate, Counterspell, Lock. And you just lock your opponent with counter spell, or with that effect, you just counter, you just lock them with thoughtsies. It's something that happens super consistently, and it's worth just knowing that you have a few locks in your deck that it's good to go for. Whenever you get, um, it's really sad that the best um, Archaeomancer effect is worth four mana. Like we have Eternal Witness for three, that's like almost strictly better. Yeah, it's a shame Eternal Witness isn't a wizard. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. you could play like a green splash for traverse to find your micromancer. That was one of the considerations, but not worth it with it being a shaman. But the fact we don't have a three mana, like two one or one one that gets you back an instant or sorcery is insane. I wouldn't be surprised if that gets printed in the future. Because like four mana is a lot. I think they'd revisit because it's like a common effect and it's like a fun effect for limited. So I could see it being, you know, a you three. You have to be sure that you don't have a good, pretty good link effects. Like. As long as you make sure it's not super blinkable, it's super easy to print. Yeah, so, but overall, really cool deck. Some, something I'd probably come back to again as well and see if I can still make it competitive in a non-Yorion way. In a, in a un-Yorionized version. Yeah, and I the play bad. Mode. Yeah, the I play bad deck special. <laughs> Grab a good 80 cards. Why not make it 60? Yeah. Exactly. And then we have the more special. Tell me a good 60. Why not make it 80? Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we get lucky and it works. Like, on this case, I really think the 80 is better just because of how it unclanks your deck, allows you to fit all... It allows you to fit all the bad cards while allowing you to have a super... It, sorry, not bad cards, rather your situational cards while having a higher percentage of powerful cards. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, again, if you're if you're a toolbox aficionado, and it's it's definitely a deck with a zillion decisions. Uh, pick it up, try it out, rent it, do whatever you want. Um, you have the false one. You have, we have the false one man instant sorcery in the form of Surushika and Gadshot. Yes. Um, so yeah, I, I would. I think it's a really very innovative deck that I think will, will keep being explored by like other brewers like Board. I, I could see like a Spike picking it up soon and trying some Micromancer stuff now that. People have popped off with it and all that. So yeah, I would look. I would. I wouldn't be surprised in the next month or so if you saw a couple more different iterations with maybe the same strategies overall, but the same you know step through micromancer shenanigans you know together. Finally, step through is an uncastable card because it bounces two. The fact it bounces two creatures and not up to two creatures almost cost me a game once. Or did you cast it and you had only? I had, I had to cast it more than once. I'm incredibly. I know. 
Well, you don't want to step through your own uh, Snapcaster mage back to your hand? That's exactly... No, my brain had a worm coil and I had to bounce it. And I wanted to swing for lethal. And, this, <laughs> and it was like, I just want to bounce that worm coil. And I had to like bounce something I had in play and I got lucky to find lethal. Especially for a newer card, right? Like in a card that's new, you would expect it to say up to two, but it's pretty specific just for turn two. Because why would you make this card almost playable? And with that being said, that's enough for us today. Hope you enjoyed our go-around through a number of rules, from Mono White to Ragdos to Esper to Esper slash Seskai. We had a really, really, they focus on white. There's like 12 ephemerates. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of ephemerating and a lot of uh, solitude and going around in these brews. And then we just have Ragdos being Ragdos, because yeah, why yeah. not? I think that one might, might be the most fun in a chaotic way. Like, take two LCS and just start waste loading stuff. Oh, yeah, it's like yeah. the most fun. Yeah, if you want to catch some people and make some, like, I get, like, a good feeling of when I'm playing a deck and I know I'm playing some off-the-wall deck in paper that, like, people are watching and they're walking by, like, what the hell is going on here? And, like, that's what you get, you know? that's You may not get the most wins. But you're going to get the most fun. Yeah, you get the most fun. You get the people saying, like, whoa, like, what is what the hell is he bringing to this party? And then you have the opposite on Marty Grind, just seeing everybody look at you like, can you please stop looking that Kami? And you're like, no, yeah, I'm going to yeah. find a 3-3 three, three to kill oh, you I've eventually. had like some salty people in Moto this week, like with the Kami loop, like saying like, <laughs> that's that's so fun. And I'm like, sorry, I'm not dashing a Ragavan every turn. Like, oh man, I'm shaking in my boots over here. Yeah, like, I'm super sorry. Like, I have <laughs> to play this tier 4 deck while you cast a Morgstide. What could I do? Yeah, I'm like, sorry this common from Kamigawa's beating you. Is this a common? I can't believe it's a common. Great card should be a... The White Sporefrog. Should, should be a mythic. Should be a mythic. White Sporefrog should be its name. I wish Sporefrog, like, I wish, like, that art was white so I could play because I like that art better, but... Sporefrog is a lot more fun for some reason. Like, I look at Sporefrog and I'm like, oh, this Gorog, and I look at the Kami and I'm like, ugh, the Kami. Yeah, it's a frog. What's not to love? So, yeah. Thanks so much, everybody. Um, yeah, hope you have you a nice night. Thanks so much and for showing yeah. me as well. Thanks guys for having me. I hope to uh, talk to some people about these brews. If anybody tries them out, please, you know, I'm, I'm in the Faithless Brewing Discord. You can message me. Um, I'm always, or if you, again, if you have crazy card ideas, uh, especially for Modern or Legacy, I will probably get in the Pioneer at some point, but especially Modern Legacy that you're like, hey, like, I was thinking about this card. Like, if you, you can ask more, I probably send them like 75 deck lists a week about like, hey, what do we think of this? What do we think of this? So, oh, yeah. If anybody wants to hear, like, Half the ramblings baked, of a madman. Half baked like ideas. Let me know, and I can just send you ads PMs as soon as they as they get to me. And, you're, and if you think any of the fields is crazy, you have no idea what this goes what goes through this mind's head through this guy's head half of the time. These are like the the the, the ideas that have been finely tuned. Yep. Yeah. Well, after six or seven leagues of it, they get tuned. But yeah. So thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. You know, I, I just love talking to you about random brews. So, thanks so much, everybody. Hope you liked the episode, and see you again on Monday. Have a nice night. If you enjoyed this episode and want to know more about our latest brews, you can support us via Patreon, which will not only grant you immediate access to our Discord, where you can find our faithless brewers alongside an army of mind-like players, but also access to the monthly project voting, where you can help us decide what to play with for the following month. Finally, remember to tune in on Monday as David returns from his climbing trip, and we can go look deep into one of the finest brews in Pioneer. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and have a nice night. Happy brewing!